Hello and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Maas, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing the movie The Shape of Water, the short story And I Awoke and Found Me Here on the Cold Hills Side by James Tiptree Jr., and the fanfic Grow, Discover New Talent by Layla. Welcome to episode 27, Alien Fucking, or where there's a will, there's a way. I'm Alex. I'm Freya. I'm Macy. We are three redheaded fantasy authors who are not quite at the oversharing point of telling you which monsters we would personally fuck. Yeah, I was outvoted on that one. (laughs) So before we get into the discussion of weird porn and the sinners who love it, what are we reading? I have been making my way through the Vorkosian books that I missed when we skipped ahead to mm. Tentpole, Civil Campaign. So I hadn't read most mm. of the ones in between uh, Warrior's Apprentice and Komar. So I'm going through all of those now and having a wonderful time. I'm also about halfway through an arc of The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon, mm. which comes out next year or this year, whenever you are listening, dear listeners. (laughs) And it is a very long, very ambitious fantasy novel, which I'm describing sort of as the love child of Game of Thrones and Dragon Riders of Pern, but with bonus lesbians and women everywhere. Oh, it's very good, but it is You lost me and then you gained me again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's very good. It, It is quite dense, though. So I'm taking a break to throw some space opera into my brain and then I'll pick it up again. That is entirely fair. Is it quite as murdery? As Game of Thrones? Probably not. I mean, quite a few people have died. I'm just, so, yeah. I, I haven't actually read Game of Thrones. So I think for a political high fantasy novel, probably average murdery. All right, I can live with that. Um, so I have been reading a book all about murder this this week. I have an arc of my agent sibling, K.A. Dawes, upcoming debut, which is going to be out in March. And it is a delightful book called The Perfect Assassin. And it's about a nerdy historian who trains as an assassin in his spare time and is somewhat reluctant to deal with this murdery gig and who has a lovely ace romance with another boy and they hold hands and look at sunsets together and the book sort of slowly creeps up on you. It's very gentle and then you get past the halfway point and you start to feel some momentum and then it just like starts stabbing you repeatedly and it's amazing. So much thought went into it about personal vengeance and our responsibilities to our communities and to our family and where duty lies between the two. And I really loved it and everyone should read it. Yay. And that's available for pre-order now, right? Yes. It's out for pre-order and it'll be out in March. It's The Perfect Assassin by K.A. Dor. Ooh, yeah. Check that one out. I have been on vacation. I, uh, As you know, if you listen to the last episode, dear listeners, I turned in my book. So I have been on vacation and reading Woo! all the things. Uh, I finished uh, beta reading Freya's book, which was delightful. I have been watching a little bit more uh, Nirvana in Fire, which is fine. <laughs> uh, I read a short story called More Tomorrow by Premi Mohabad, which was fantastic. It is this mm-hmm. short story about a paleontologist who gets sent back in time and is keeping a diary about like encounters with dinosaurs and trilobites and (laughs) and so forth and trying to recover the the time machine that will get her sent home uh it's hilarious and funny and a little bit disturbing uh i also saw into the spider-verse uh which was unbelievable and a game changer highly recommend and finally i read band sinister uh, by K.J. Charles, which was a absolute yes. delight. It was perfect. It's so It good. made me so happy yesterday. <laughs> I was laughing. I was dancing around my room. I was grinning from ear to ear. It was fantastic. And I've been working my way through my advanced copy of Ruin of Kings as well, uh, which is taking me a little while because yes. it's a doorstopper. Uh, it's a very thick book. Uh, mm. But yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good so far. I forgot to mention that I finished edits on my book. Yesterday, Yay! after Yay! yes, so that is back with one of our scribes to check that I didn't tuck my skirt into my underwear on the way out the door. Sure, sure. 
one more thing before we get to the episode itself. We have a cool announcement to tell you about. Uh, Macy, would you like to regale our darling listeners about the, the exciting thing that's happening? Gosh, I guess I do. Um, so, darling listeners, if you've been paying attention to our internets, you will know that the Hugo nominations are, in fact, now open. Yay! And yay! And we're super excited. We're all going to be at Worldcon, and we can't wait to see all of the things that are on the ballots and all of the cool stories that came out in 2018 yes. um, recognized for the great work that so many people have done. And if you have registered for that convention, you should now have your nomination ballot in your email, possibly in your spam filter, if, like me, you're on Gmail and have lost it. (laughs) So maybe start thinking about what some of your favourite things were from 2018 and get that in before March 15th when the nominations close. And uh, are we eligible for anything by any chance? Does anyone know? Well... Well, we might be. Not not to put too fine an gloss on it. Uh, we are, in fact, eligible for the Best Fan Cast category. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you considered us for that. Yes. If you give us space on your ballot, we are grateful forever. That is so kind. Yes. Uh, briefly, yes. also, just to, since we were mentioning Worldcon, I think that a lot of the fans of the podcast are sort of organizing a serpenty meetup thing. Uh, I don't know the details yes. of it, but uh, I'm sure that we'll be advertising that as it uh, develops. So keep that in mind. Absolutely. It may involve eggs. And we all know that snakes love eggs. Snakes love eggs. <laughs> That was a great cackle. It was one of your better cackles, I think. (laughs) And we have one more piece of news before we go into the episode. Yes, I was about to say, we have obviously been quite busy and the 30th episode has (sighs) snuck up on the horizon much faster than we thought it would. So, given that this is a multiple of 10, it will be one of our listener question extravaganzas. Yes. We're recording this on February 15th, so that is your deadline to get in any questions you would like us to blather about. Uh, You can submit questions to us through email, through Twitter, or through Tumblr, and we will get to as many of them as we can. Yes. Yes. So please please send in questions. Otherwise, Macy, what are you going to threaten to tell me about if the people don't send in questions? I've been thinking about that, and I was... I was wondering if, like, deep sea marine biology would be of interest. I actually am kind of interested in deep sea marine biology. Okay, so there better, we go. Okay, so you'd better yep. pick something else so that people will actually send in questions. No, no, no. But we can talk about giant squids for an hour. We could okay. Talk change about of plans. Episode thirty is now giant squid. <laughs> Glad we know. This. I mean, oh. I am down for that. The giant. I mean, if you want to send episode. us a question about giant squid, that would be fine. That would be that fine is too. that is that is also fine. Would you fuck a giant squid? We may okay. We have declared a moratorium, Alex, on ask, answering whether we personally would fuck any given cryptid. You are welcome to speculate. Freya and I will maintain our serpently dignity. All right, that's fine. <laughs> hey, if you, anyway, <laughs> listeners, darling listeners, here we are. Welcome. Uh, we're going to be talking about monster fucking and alien fucking in this episode because that's the kind of classy that we feel like this week. It's kind of the, the, the current zeitgeist, you know? Yeah, it is. It's kind of in the modern consciousness right now for some reason, um, which we will, I'm sure, speculate about in depth. But before we get started, I did want to note that this is something that can go pretty badly wrong uh, if... People are using it as a metaphor for actually marginalized groups or otherwise drawing parallels that the author may or may not have realized were there. Um, We're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail later on, but please take note that that's something that we are aware of and do not encourage. Yes. Yes. Because people get to be people and should not be depicted as monsters. And even aliens are people too. Aliens are people too. That sounded like a pithy ending to the episode, but it wasn't. It was not. We're done now. Everyone go home before Alex manages to successfully (laughs) wrangle me or Freya into admitting something we'd rather not. We'll get you there. (laughs) Oh, God. No. So so we're talking about this being part of the zeitgeist, and I think there's been a few very well-publicized examples, one of which is our first tempo that we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, But obviously, I think the most 
extreme example and most prominent on Tumblr, at least, in terms of mm-hmm. online fandom, was Venom, which I have still, oh, not I still seen. haven't seen. It. I still Macy, have you seen Venom? How the heck, Alex, have you not? I, Freya, I will forgive. Well, it went but... out of theaters before I had a chance to, and then I was just reading fanfic. But you're, you're the one who's like thirsty for Venom on Main. Anyway, I have watched Venom. <laughs> I'm trying to consider now. Would I fuck Venom? No. No, I don't think I would. Okay. But I've uh, read the I'm, fanfic. All right. I'm, I'm, glad that, I'm glad that we've cleared <laughs> okay, that up. Good. However, yes, I have watched Venom. And I feel like it's just something that you see occasionally there'll be a pop-up of like memes or pictures and then someone will write an article about whatever the latest monster that everybody wants to fuck is. And I remember there was a brief furore about some kind of shark-headed <laughs> prince from a Zelda yeah, game. Yeah, he's one of the Zora. So oh I God. actually have played this game like a couple weeks ago, Breath of the Wild. And I met the the uh, Zora prince man and I remembered him from everyone being thirsty for him on Tumblr. And as it turns out, he's kind of a babe. <laughs> Like, he's, like, cool and gallant, and I'm like, oh, neat. The only thing I can think of when you start talking about shark dudes is, like, Zabuza from fucking Naruto. Well, all I can think of is, like, do you know what shark yes, is Yes, exactly! Like? It is deeply That's like, unpleasant. He's not that, a shark. But with Zabuza, it's a thing. He's a Zora. The fish man. Everyone wants to fuck a fish man. We will get to that. <laughs> do you want to fuck the fish man? Well... Some people want to fuck a fish man. Shall I talk about that? You should that? tell us about that, Alex. Hey. All right. So as you may have guessed by now, dear listeners, our first tentpole this week is uh, Shape of Water, which is a movie that came out last year. Tw- well, sorry, year before last now. Uh, uh, 2017. Uh, it's directed by Guillermo del Toro. And it is of course. about... Uh, of course, obviously. Because <laughs> Guillermo del Toro loves us and wants us to be happy. And it is about a... A mute woman called Eliza, who is a janitor at a government government facility. Yeah, secret government facility. And she, they have a sexy fish man there. Uh, that that is debatable. Doing... That is debatable. They have a fishman. You don't think the fishman is sexy? Listen, okay. The fishman was specifically designed to be sexy. Guillermo del Toro carried around a sketchbook of character designs and showed it to people and was like, is this sexy enough? I am aware of the, like, is is the butt good? Like, yeah, the amount the of time good. that was spent on the butt. I, again, I reiterate, the second half of that noun is the problem here, Alex. Which 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 noun? Sorry? Fishman. Oh, you'd be down for fucking a fish woman. Maybe. That's, okay, I hear you. But I like, you. oh God, you got <laughs> me see, already. Fuck. I no, fishman is not that hard to me. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Jesus. This, Alex oh. Alex turns to her book and checks it off. Macy, Macy. done. <laughs> Macy would maybe fuck a fish woman. No, I did not say that. I just said I would you never maybe. fuck a fish man. Listen, listen. And I said, would you fuck a fish woman? And you said maybe. I, I cannot answer that question until you present me with the woman in question. And it would really be up to her as well. So you're saying there's a possibility that you'd fuck a fish woman? <laughs> Whom amongst us? That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that. We're in agreement here. Uh, listeners, listeners, would, would you like to continue anyway. to hear about this tentpole? There's some really great hand ge- There's some really great, like, gestures yeah. about the fish man. Yes, in this there movie. are some great gestures about the fish man. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> they're doing some, some tests on the sexy fish man. I did... Just go with it, Macy. The just, just let her have sure. it. I'm having a bad day. Let me have this, Macy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and through adventure and uh, shenanigans, she rescues the fish man, takes him back to her apartment, fills her bathroom with water, fucks the fish man, and it, and an em- ambiguous, ambiguous happily ever, ever after. after. Yes, yes. Very metaphoric. Very metaphoric, yes. Uh, and there's been a lot of discussion about it because, it, I mean, it was such a beautiful movie. It was one of the only movies that I saw in theaters in 2017. Uh, and I saw it with my friend Chris, who is fantastic. Uh, and we sat there clutching each other's hands uh, through the whole movie going, Oh my God! Oh my God! Are they going to kiss? And then they kiss. <laughs> and it won the Oscar. It did win the, the Oscar. Best picture. Yes, yes. Everybody's horny for fish people on May. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Are you saying that you're horny for fish people? No, I'm not. I'm saying that the zeitgeist is. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. Like, <laughs> working on you. <laughs> We're working on you. Uh, there, no, there's no. some some criticism of 
uh, the movie, though, and how it depicts disability specifically. And to that, I just want to uh, give a big shout out mm -hmm. to an article on Tor.com by Elsa Sianison Henry. And I hope I pronounced her last name Shenison. correctly. Shenison. Elsa Shenison Henry. Uh, who wrote an article called I Belong Where the People Are, Disability and the Shape of Water. And it is fantastic. I mm -hmm. highly recommend that you go read it. Uh, it does. It has some really, really great thoughts about um, othering and the desirability of uh, disabled mm -hmm. women and sort of the complex feelings that uh, she had about, about this film. Uh, really, really a yes. fantastic read. I found Shape of Water interesting in the context of Del Toro's movies because he very much is about this idea of the monstrous human and the humanity yes. in monsters. Mm. Like if you, I think um, Pan's Labyrinth did came at this question yes. from a, a different perspective as well. But if you look at it from that perspective, then it's in the tradition of stories right. like Beauty and the Beast, where it's about there's this a woman whose attraction and intimacy with a monster is perceived as threatening by the other men yep. around her. And this very clear metaphor for female desire being seen as somehow monstrous and something that has to be killed and I think or destroyed. That it's very clear in the film that the enemy is, you know, the the patriarchal power structure of the government of yes. the men around them. And there's kind of three main human characters in this, and all of them are marginalized in one way or another. There's a black woman, a mute woman, and a gay man in the fifties, is it? Mm -hmm. About? 60s, I think. 60s, okay. Because yeah, it's like Cold War. And it's very clearly against the, against society, right? That's what they're fighting, really, to free this fishman. They're trying to free themselves. And I wonder if that's part of yeah. the appeal of the monster, right? It's a powerful force that is outside of social laws. And and the monster is very clearly shown as being part of that group. Yes. Like, it turns into almost a, a, you know, a buddy heist movie <laughs> yes. where they are rescuing one of their own I loved the heist from sequence. the enemy. I loved the heist sequence. I was so happy that it was a heist movie. Heist that fish man. Heist that fish man good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> are we using heist as a uh, heist metaphor a for anything here? No, I'm just heists are good. Heist him good. Heist him real good. But I mean, if Freya is arguing for that being a metaphor, I think you just got Freya. Would you fuck the fish man, Freya? Freya has no comment at this time. <laughs> Freya cannot be reached for comment. Please reach out to Freya's representatives. <laughs> yes. Oh God. No, do not talk to my. Do not Dear talk to my Diana, representative. Who I am friends with on on Twitter and who I have DM'd with I on bet Twitter. My representative <laughs> would be really happy to have a conversation. About that. <laughs> would Freya fuck the fish man? Please respond. Love, Alex. <laughs> uh, mm. It's a real good thing that like all of our agents are cool with us being us. On brand. On our bullshit. Well, that's what you want. You want an agent who believes in your brand. Let's talk about tentacles. So you won't sure. talk about the fish man, but you'll talk about tentacles is what you're telling me. I The tentacles have no bearing on me in person. All right. All right. T tell us about some tentacles. Well, the tentacles are debatable. So, listeners, when we came up with the pitch for this episode, which I want to say was probably before we started recording this podcast, like, this was on the list of our first set of ideas. It was it was fairly early, yeah, we've been sitting so on this one for a while. Which, given that we started with robot boners, is probably unsurprising. It's How many different things can you fuck? <laughs> Here's a whole list. <laughs> we will write an episode about each one of them. Aye, aye, aye. Number one, boners. <laughs> robot boners. Number two, tentacles. They... There were no boners in that fic. I will die on this hill. Let's go back to tentacles. Um, and specifically, let's go to Homestuck, which is where my mind went, at least, when we started to talk about um, the idea of sexual relationships with monsters or aliens, right? Because I think that Homestuck is one of those fandoms that really kind of dug into the whole idea and had, in some ways, way too much fun designing how to fuck their aliens? Yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, Homestuck was just a webcomic that was very shittily drawn and had no interest in actually showing you any of this stuff. You just got swear words to go on. Mm -hmm. And the swear words were things like bone bulge. Yeah. And nook. Do you remember that? <laughs> nook. Nook. <laughs> and a lot, of stuff, a lot of stuff about buckets. <laughs> yes, buckets were obscene in the alien culture for some reason. <laughs> That's such an amazing piece of world building, though. Like, you can tell so much about a culture by, like, what they find taboo. 
And look, I have no familiarity with Homestuck, but I have to agree that from a craft perspective and from a world building perspective, there is a lot of fun to be had in this arena. Like totally novel things that would not necessarily fall under a sexual category for us that could for other types of beings. And I think, what was I thinking of? Oh yes, infinite diversity in infinite combinations. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Which is very much something that you can play with as a speculative fiction writer. Which is from where, Freya? That one is from Star Trek, the original Let's Fuck All the Aliens That is the the original, yes. Yes. Um, So for this episode, we're tentpoling one specific Homestuck fic, but honestly, in my mind, I'm kind of tentpoling all of Homestuck fandom because, you know, eh, they be how they be. This one is called Bro Discover New Talent. And And who's it by? By Layla. And Bro is a character who is very skeezy in canon. I don't know if it was ever, like, explicit that he's, like, a porn producer, but he definitely sells vibrators. Like, vibrators in plushies. (laughs) This webcomic guy. Like, that was a thing. Yeah. Like, plushies with long vibrating noses. For use. That was a thing. Jesus, Homestuck. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was really early. That was, like, that was in the early part. Homestuck was never on the rails, let's be honest. Homestuck never, Homestuck was a hovercart from the beginning. And by hover card, I mean like uh, a beach table with like some fire extinguishers on fire strapped to the back of it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, this is a fic about a fairly successful porn producer when alien contact is made by with Earth who decides to make a new niche by convincing an alien to film a pornographic video with him. And that's yep. just how this fic goes. So... I could not imagine a more on-point fic for this episode. Yes, indeed. But the cool thing about this fic that you're leaving out, uh, Macy, is that the alien... Like, the the guy's just here to make some money, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And he sort of, like, gets into it as he goes. But the alien actually has a human fetish. Oh, yeah. The alien is very, very into this. Yes. And, like... Like, the alien has a human fetish. Like, some humans have alien fetishes. And it's a delightful kind of subversion of the trope. And... I mean, when you got later on in Homestuck, there was an, one of the aliens, one of the troll characters who was a furry. Oh, that's right. But for humans. Oh my god, right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh... I don't think we're going to get into furries. I think that's a little outside the scope of this episode. <laughs> this, yes. The point I was making was Hussey knew what he was doing when he developed or trolled his audience, because I don't think developed is the word for Homestuck. No. This entire thing. Homestuck also had a really interesting set of, like, romance norms for the trolls. Yes, the quadrants. I love the quadrants. Tell us all about those. So the quadrants, um, basically, it was a graphic novel first. It was a graphical uh, medium. And so Hussey, the creator, had a ton of fun with symbolism and used the four suits of cards to denote four different possible romantic relationships in troll culture. Uh, And the thing is that trolls are meant to be a hyper-violent species, and so they have one form of romantic and sexual love based on pity, one form based on hate, and then a platonic love based on supporting one another the moirales and then the other another one support another one based on not letting your friend get into a fight with someone they shouldn't get into a fight with yes which could very much be like ao3 tags but a lot of people had a lot of fun with it and there's um rather a lot of very good fic in that fandom particularly around fucking aliens yeah yeah one of the cool things about the the quadrant system in particular was that it gave us a new and interesting way to talk about the ships that we like. Right. Uh, and it was like a, a good shorthand for saying like, oh, I really ship these people, but not like as like fucking together. I just want them to be like best friends. Like mm. it, instead of like going to all those uh, quantifications and, and or qualifications. And then Homestuck got deeply unfashionable. And then if you start using those terms nowadays, you just get laughed at. But right. right. <sighs> But we are weak for taxonomies, so yeah. I can see why they sort of stand oh, yeah. for you guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I love them. I will also say that uh, the canon for Homestuck did do a fair number of cross-species romances, right? Terezi and Dave mm-hmm. is the one I'm thinking of. Yep. And so it and, did actually... Uh, what's her name and the... Rose and Kanaya? Yep, that's the one. Lesbians. 
I'm surprised you didn't bring up the lesbians first. They were just so much more competent that their relationship didn't get all that much screen time. True, true. But thinking about this fic, I think you're right in that the the fact that the alien also has a human fetish is what saves it from being skeevy at all. Yeah, right. Given given the the framing device of we're making porn, <laughs> and some and some of the yeah. stuff that comes through in the the narration, it's shown as very much a two way street, right. and they're both on an equal footing when it comes to this facet, sexual fascination with uh, the other species. Exactly. And mm-hmm. the third temple that we want to talk about is one that comes at that question from a different perspective. Oh, a so totally a, different perspective. Totally different. So our third temple is the short story by James Tiptree Jr. And I Awoke and Found Me Here Upon the Cold Hill's Side. So that title is taken from the Keats poem, uh, La Belle Dame Sans Merci which is about somebody essentially getting falling in love with the Queen of the Fairies and then getting ceremoniously dumped and pining around on a hillside because she dumped him. Essentially, <laughs> that's what that poem is about. Welcome to Poetry Analysis. There we go. Famous Fun Facts Poetry Corner. Fun Facts Poetry Corner. Brea, I have a question. Story, Would you yes. fuck the Queen of the Fairies? You know what? Yes, and I will admit to that one. Got Freya. Got Freya. I would not. Yep, fairies I would not because of the consequences. I mean, I would. But oh yeah, no. I'm pretty sure there would be some terrible consequences. I would have to like write a four-page contract and make sure that I had somebody willing to, you know, quest back and but, challenge someone to a duel and sure, get me out sure. again. But just on the basis of like logistics, maybe not. Yeah. On the basis of Queen of the Fairies. But yeah, also, sure. Alex, we already knew this from the Yuri Otterbeck fic. Well, that's true. Yeah. It totally took 25 minutes for me to get y'all to admit all this on episode, so. But I mean, it's the Queen of the Fairies. I mean, you would, you would with the Queen of the Fairies. You would, you would. I think we all would. Like, even you would. Yeah, even that's I fine. would. Yes, that's true. All right. This short story. <laughs> <laughs> this short story is about somebody who is a newcomer to an alien port who is being told a cautionary tale by another human who has been there for a longer time, essentially trying to warn him off getting obsessed with aliens. And the the implication is that for every single human, as soon as we have contact with any type of alien species, we become immediately and hopelessly fascinated and obsessed to a point where people are ruining their lives, throwing away all of their money, you know, just desperate to touch them or have contact Addicted, with them. essentially. And... Addicted, yeah, becoming essentially addicted to the idea of any kind of intimacy or contact with these alien beings. And it is portrayed as very much a one-way street Mm. rather than it going both ways. And the way it's explained in the story is it's this idea that humans have an inbuilt genetic drive for diversity. Hmm. That we are attracted to whatever is most different from us as a way of diversifying the gene pool. And when humans come in contact with aliens, this this nature of ours goes dramatically wrong, but it's something that is unique to humans and the other aliens don't have it. So we are seen as kind of amusing and pathetic and all of humanity is just throwing itself at the cliff face of the possibility of maybe getting to have sex with some aliens, but probably won't. Yeah, it's like a moth to the flame, right? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I think this point that you made about uh, drawing clear parallels uh, between the aliens and the Fae is a really cool one because I have had that thought for a a long time about how uh, like aliens are kind of our modern idea of the Fae and how like we're always fascinated with with things that are not quite of this world. There's this idea that I came across a while back and I can't remember where about how Fae are something that live underhill they live in the unmapped spaces of our world and as we've decreased the unmapped spaces of our world we start to place them into the only unmapped sphere that we have which is space and the deep sea oh and yes. so you will see deep sea cryptids you will see people shouting about squid but you will also see aliens yes. or you will see dimension portals but like the unmapped spaces and i think that's kind of what you're saying is that the fey have migrated to the unexplainable which is now space yes the unknown yeah, it's related to the idea that any any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yes, this idea yes, that when we have contact with aliens, they will have technology rather than magic, but it will be so out of our own sphere of experience that it will seem magical and wondrous. Well, and I mean, we've stopped accepting that we believe in magic, but we still do. We just dress it up as science. 
we believe in our phone's ability to find the nearest McDonald's, and that's that's magic to many of us, right? You don't know how that works. It's witchcraft. And so now we kind of believe that science can do anything, because we don't understand why science can do the things that it does do. It's hard for us to, to map out what it can and can't do. And we're prepared to accept these extremes, these imaginary extremes of biology, that... Mm-hmm. You know, yes, if giant squids can exist, then also there can be aliens who, instead of having the normal appendages, have oh five tentacles which are self-lubricating and which feel like the caress of you know golden light. You can have anything, anything you like, and it can just be biology. Yeah, science fucky shadow gods. <laughs> I'm so glad that we have this podcast. This makes me really happy when we're talking. We're having like these really deep conversations about like science and technology and and <laughs> magic and so forth and self lubricating tentacles. I feel like I'm I'm always reasonably okay with like self lubricating tentacles because that's logical, right? There's like a reason for that. <laughs> Would you fuck some self lubricating tentacles? <laughs> no, deeply no. Okay, like, so that's many fair. levels of no. That's fair. That's no. fair. No, I'm not going to uh, push you on that one. <laughs> And one of the other things I wanted to talk about is I stumbled across when I was doing research in inverted commas for this particular episode was a fantastic article by a writer called Daria DeFore, who is a queer romance author, about this zeitgeist of monster fucking and coming at it from the perspective of a queer writer and a queer audience uh, and why these monster fucking or alien fucking narratives may be particularly appealing to a queer audience. And there's a great quote from it, which was sort of summing up the thesis of the article. Monsters are free from all our baggage, all the worries that keep us prisoner. They allow us a chance to empathise with the outsider, ditch conventional beauty standards, and feel the thrill of a dangerous act in a safe, totally imaginary space. Which I thought sums it up well. There were so many great quotes from that article. Yeah. Like, that was a it's really fantastic, good article. And I really, mm-hmm. I thought it made some really good points about the idea of coded monstrosities as being a way for queer people to not necessarily insert themselves into a narrative, but to reclaim a narrative that is all that has traditionally shown them as the monsters and their desires and attractions as monstrous and showing that anybody who is considered to be a monstrous outsider by society can be deserving of love and intimacy. And I think the piece of it that I, that really resonated with me was the point that was made about how other people react to queer desire addressed to them. So expressing attraction towards someone who is straight is sometimes, it can be seen as a monstrous thing. Like that's something that you're always scared about as a queer person is, are they going to see my desire as monstrous? Another point it made was about the coming out from the other perspective of being the person who fucks the monster is this <laughs> delicious tension between the danger inherent in the monster, mm. but the fact that the if the monster or the alien is strong and inhumanly large, <laughs> then it can protect you <laughs> in a way. Um, and I think they talked that mentioned that venom is the perfect example of this because it's both a friend yes. and a protector all in one. And I was thinking about the predominance of shifter romances and trying to work out how that fits into this particular story. And I think, for me, shifter romances are, again, about both a dangerous being that will provide protection just to you because you are special, but it's separating it from the having to fuck the monster or wanting to fuck the monster because if you've got a shifter, then you can fuck them in human form. Uh, but when it comes to having this sort of strong beast having chosen you and wanting to protect you, then you've got the panther or the honey badger or whatever the hell the monster, sorry, whatever the hell the animal Unless is. Unless you have a Canadian literary novel, in which case you can literally fuck the bear. That's true. And the other thing I was just thinking of when you were talking, Freya, was ages back in the Animal Companions episode we were talking about wanting to be someone's favorite. Oh, yes. Right? And I feel like alien fucking is even more special because not only are you someone's favorite, but that someone is an alien or a monster. Yeah. Like, that's so special. That's, that's like so being special. chosen by the king to be queen. So maybe maybe that's also part of the draw, is that you are inarguably special by having been chosen. Yes. Yes, because a lot of times in the Animal Companions one, there's lots of people with Animal Companions, and so that in itself is not really special. Special because mm. like everyone has like a, a a dragon friend or a 
uh, a daemon by their side, right? But like as you as you're saying with the uh, aliens, though, a lot of times like there's no one else who has an alien boyfriend. Oh, Jupiter ascending. <laughs> oh, Jupiter ascending. <laughs> and a lot of the time, it does come down to that element of danger like there's usually either a size disparity or a power disparity of some kind that you know this being could crush me between their giant paws or could liquidize me with their telepathic death ray but instead they are choosing to love me and use their strength and that's sort of a a very eddy perspective and i was thinking a little bit about whether or not an alien human or an alien monster romance is always queer and I feel like a lot of the fiction and that I read and write and talk to people who are writing, it is very queer and we're very conscious of it being queer. But I think that's a product of the people that I hang out with. Yes. Honestly. <laughs> yes, agree. I was then thinking about the quote unquote romance between Kirk and Gamora on the Star Trek reboot, mm-hmm. where it is clearly super heterosexual, male gazy, skeezy, and like is not treated respectfully. She's like an object. Do you mean... No, goddammit. Yeah, you're right. Between Kirk and Gala. There you are. I was like, isn't Gamora from... Yeah, no, that's the wrong one. Um... I've never seen Star Trek. I was like, (laughs) isn't Gamora from Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah, yeah, no, no. I meant meant Jim Kirk and Gala, the way it's presented in the first movie. And also, quite tellingly, we think that she dies in the big battle at the end of that movie, but the movie doesn't even bother to tell us. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason you had Gamora in mind is because the character of Gamora in Guardians of the Galaxy falls kind of into the same trope. At least mm-hmm. she is much more of a whole person and a whole character. But again, she is the sexy alien girlfriend. Yeah, that, exactly that. the That trope, the sexy alien girlfriend. I'm also thinking of the Mass Effect strip clubs. I haven't played Mass Effect, nor have I read any fic for it. So one of the things that Mass Effect goes for in its space stations is like a noir atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And so a bunch of your fight scenes and like interaction quest scenes will take place in this underworld base that is basically a strip club full of alien strippers. Mm. And they are all female looking, despite the fact that their species is arguably agender. They have boobs. Yeah, it's, again, it's very male gazy. Yeah. And I would argue that also, if you're coming at it from the other side of things, the kinds of animated pornography, I guess both sort of 2D hentai and like 3D animation that are based on sort of human girls or human looking human looking girls at least being right. fucked by ogres and monsters and various types of things that's aimed usually again at heterosexual men it's about right. watching something but i mean it is quite popular with women that genre of porn but again it is there i wouldn't think that there is anything really queer about it because again right. it's very much this focus on big dick goes into tiny girl do you think that heterosexual men have less of a tolerance for fucking weird things than heterosexual women do or that women in general do i don't I know. feel like they'd be fine with it as long as they were completely in control i feel like that's what like, men are taught that they're meant to want yeah I feel like I don't know enough heterosexual men to answer this question. That's fair. Good life choices, Freya. Good job. I'm proud of you. No, but I I feel like when I see, like, male gaze sexy aliens, right? It's always, like, a hot hot chick, but a a weird color. Right, a weird color, like a blue chick or a green chick or whatever. And then when I see, like, here's an alien that a woman would fuck, right? It's sexy fish man, who is still vaguely humanoid, but much less humanoid than the blue chick. right. Mm. And I think it's not about who in this porn you would fuck when it comes to that particular genre. It's more about watch watch the sexy girl get fucked. She is the object in that scenario, even though she is the human. And that's what makes it for the heterosexual gays. Yeah, yeah. Right. And another movie that I wanted to mention, going back to kind of the point we made at the beginning as to how this can go badly, badly wrong, Mm -hmm. was the Avatar movie. Yes. Oh my God, talk about that, please. Where it was... Oh, it was such a gross, like, pastiche of the invasion of America and, like, what happened to Native Americans and the whole way that they did uh, the aliens as being, like, living as one with nature, pure and unspoiled until man came. Yeah. And it's, don't do that. Don't do that. There was that Don't script that extract shit. that was put around of how James Cameron described Natiri the mm-hmm. first time she's seen. 
and it was like, you know, in the years of her people, she would be 16. She is live. She is blah, blah, blah. It was like the most horrible little paragraph of how you're meant to see this person first. And it was so male gazy. And it was basically, you could tell, even without having seen any of the movie, that what he wanted to do was make sexy alien Pocahontas. Yeah. And then have yeah. his chosen male boring lead fuck sexy alien Pocahontas. Yeah. Yeah. The moral of this story is don't be racist. Yeah. Yeah. Don't base your alien culture on someone else's culture wholesale literally never do it yeah there is no good reason like you look at some of the stuff that tolkien does with orcs and he may not have meant it that way but a lot of the time things that come from that position those characters with african-american vernacular english Mm -hmm. or will position certain alien races as being clearly generically asian because asian is a thing right yes and then trying to defend yourself by saying but they're not the bad guys because they're attractive is not actually helping your case no but they're really good at maths yeah like also don't make i can i can give you a pretty general rule which will give you which will get you a long way don't make stereotypes about your own alien species or your own alien races because that is leading like anytime you use a stereotype for one lazy fucking writing do better just do better and also like what if you look at any human civilization or any alien civilization of course there's always going to be diversity of thought and opinions and uh occupations and all sorts of things so you can't really say things like oh yes these aliens are from a warrior culture that doesn't make any sense logically and if you want if you want to hear some people who are not three white people talking more about this um you can look up writing the other by nizi shawl thank you so much those classes are amazing and yes if you have the cash to spare take them they will teach you so much and there's a book i haven't read the book but nizi shawl and cynthia ward did a book just called writing the other which I think goes into some of these things. Yes, and also just around um, how to respectfully represent people who are different from yourself in general. Yeah. I want to say that of our tent poles, Fishman doesn't do a great job because you only ever see one Fishman. You don't know what fish people are like. You can't really communicate with him. Like He clearly gets to make choices and has a degree of agency, but I mean, he's a prisoner. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have a ton of choice. Um, I would say... I actually feel like the Homestuck fic is the one that does the best job of this alien is clearly choosing to be there. Yes. You know, this is an alien who has interests that make them want to fuck the human. That's the only way that you can do this well is ask yourself not why would an alien choose to be with my human milk toast lead, but why would this specific alien? Right. What are their personal individual wants and, and desires? Yes. And from what I have gathered about Venom fandom, the answer seems to be these are two trash bag people who have found one another. <laughs> I love that cat. I love that fandom. Yeah. Fanon. Like, it makes me so happy. And it makes me think of all of the Tumblr, like, humans will collect any alien and pack bond with literally anything. Yes. Which I think brings us to the next point. Uh, <laughs> like, two days ago or yesterday, Macy posts in our group <laughs> chat, which of us is going to be responsible for researching the origins of hentai. And I thought about this for a minute, and I was like, well, I have the least dignity. And at the same time that I'm typing this out, Macy responds, spoilers, it's you. Uh, (laughs) And I'm like, like, yep, yep. I mean, yeah, I do have the least dignity. So uh, I googled the origins of hentai so that you don't have to, dear listeners. I think we both also posted links to Dreams of the Fisherman's Wife yes, we about did. 30 seconds after yes, that. Yes, we did. <laughs> uh, Dream of the Fisherman's Wife is a piece of Shunga art, which was drawn in uh, 1814. I'm sure that you've seen this before. It's the Japanese porn of a woman fucking an octopus. And also there's another smaller baby octopus. I'm sure you've seen this. Uh, you'll know it when you see it. You have such faith in the type of listeners that we have. You're like, you've definitely I mean, seen you. the octopus fucking art. <laughs> They've definitely seen this. Like, who hasn't seen this? Who, has, who hasn't seen this? Everyone has seen this, yes. If you haven't seen it, this is a non-safe for work picture, people. So before yes. you Google it, make sure that you're not on a work computer or no I love how we've gotten to this you. point in the episode before we thought started thinking about whether or not this might be safe for work. 
whoever does the intro needs to be like, put on your headphones, put on your headphones. <laughs> the title is Alien Listen. Fucking, though, so people should know us by now. Also, I really hope they amended the uh, drinking game that they're playing for this particular episode so they're not taking a shot for every time we say fucking. Or lubrication. We've said that a couple times. We've been times. fairly good. We've been fairly sparse with our lubrication, which is worrying given the size that we're talking about here. But We should really be using more sufficient lubrication <laughs> Never enough lubrication. And this is why the fairy queen is superior. I'm just saying. That's fair. That's fair. It's not a worry with her. Um, oh, anyway. You don't know. You don't know what pe- Faye could have down there, Macy. I mean, you're you're not Yeah, wrong. you are assuming that she's self-lubricating and she might not be. I don't. I know. I think I was assuming that lubrication would not be required. Anyway, <laughs> she's we were talking queen. about probably, Yeah, it's probably <laughs> magical. Sorry. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Alex. Okay, Alex. Yes. Tell us about I'm octopuses, I'm telling you about octopuses. Please. Okay. So uh, Shunga art specifically uh, goes back to the Heian era because, of course, it was. Uh, the Heian era was from 794 to 1185. And um, it's my favorite era of Japanese history, for those of you who can't <laughs> guess that. But people have always loved drawing dicks. And people have been drawing dicks in pornography of various sorts for pretty much as long as we've ever been humans. Uh, Hentai, as we know it, took off in the late 1960s thanks to some guy called Azuma Hideo. But yeah, we were just talking about how humans will pack bond with literally anything, including a cute rock. I have another funny, (laughs) amusing story from uh, earlier this week. I'm in New York City right now, uh, and I was walking down the street with, uh, again, my friend Chris, and a pigeon walked in front of me, and I had this moment of, aw, pigeon! And then I was like, it's a fucking pigeon, why do I care? No, but pigeons! Pigeons are actually really cute and useful. And you uh, can eat them. I have so many sad stories about Don't pigeons. tell us right now. It's a funny episode, basically not a sad episode. We made them the way they are. I know. We, we hated them. <laughs> then we abandoned them. Uh, <laughs> we don't love them anymore. They're so domesticated. <laughs> they poor idiot children. All of the pigeons that you see are someone's lost pet. <gasps> sad day, sad day. Uh, but re- for reals, though, no. uh, the willingness to pack bond with anything also ends as up, you just observed as we just observed with me and the fucking pigeon uh means that we'd kind of be down to fuck pretty much anything too and we have stories about people being down to fuck pretty much anything sexy rocks for example the greek myth of galatea and shit what's his name pygmalion uh who you know carved this beautiful statue and then decided he oh, wanted gosh, to fuck that. it uh yep uh we have stories of people wanting to fuck particularly sexy bulls uh which was it Zeus in a bull form that Queen Pasiphae fucked to it get the Minotaur? It was probably Zeus. Or was like, speaking yeah. it was generally Zeus. It like was if we're talking Zeus. Greek was, and unadvisable was, animal fucking, it's Zeus. I think it was Zeus. On the other hand, I'm thinking that it might also have been a white bull that Poseidon put on the shore to tempt. I think that's actually what it was. It was a white bull that uh, Poseidon put on the, on the land to tempt Queen Pasiphae away from the king who had wronged Poseidon. Uh, and she longs and longs and longs to fuck this white bull. And so she has uh, her pet scientist build a, a cow costume and she goes out and fucks the bull. And you thought that we weren't going to get furries into this episode. Well, <laughs> so do we think, do we think then that mythology and the willingness of Zeus to turn into a pretty much fucking anything in yeah. order to fuck anything is yeah. sort of the equivalent then of the modern day. Well, an alien could be almost anything. Cause I mean, you can't really be out there being like, I really want to fuck a swan. Do you think that woman wants to fuck a swan? I think she does. You can be like, well, <laughs> if the gods disguised themselves... And then you can have yeah. a lot. Then you can have a lot of very classy art in your manner of a woman lying naked oh, with a swan of kind art. of perched that on one. her hip. Leaders, leader, something, leader, leader, and the swan. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. I know exactly the piece of art you're affirming. Yeah, to. and there's all this like beautiful classical art of like women with draperies and you know gold coins coming over their shoulders, and it's basically yeah. this person is being fucked by Zeus in the form of gold coins, gold and coins. it's ha- the original golden shaft. Yes, exactly. Or, or if you're if you're more into you know weaponized submission twinks, uh, Ganymede being ravished by this eagle. You see, the eagle just sounds uncomfortable, honestly. I mean, Swan does too. Which 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 appendage is it using? Well, usually in the art, the eagle is like lifting Ganymede up with his claws to like drag him back to the lair, and I don't actually know what happens after that. But if anyone has any fan fiction about it, link me to it. I mean, it is not outside uh. the realms of possibility that at some point in the mythology, Zeus was not puss. So I have also here on my dot points 
uh, my list of things that people would fuck. Not particularly sexy sheep. What up, <laughs> Scotland? Sorry I had to. Open brackets. Macy, please sensitivity read this joke for whoever in the UK is most known for being sheep fuckers. Close bracket. It's the Welsh. Oh, it's it the is Welsh. the Welsh. It's, it's the Welsh. Welsh. But okay, sheep cool. fucking is kind it, of and the New Zealand of syphilis in that every culture will accuse whichever person who's next door that they don't like of being the origin of it. That's, Australians that's will true. accuse New Zealanders of it. New Zealanders will accuse Australians of it. We know that someone's fucking the sheep. Do sheep even survive in Australia or do they just catch fire? <laughs> we have flame retardant sheep. Special, oh. special what? breed. Literally? No. <laughs> I would have believed you. You could have convinced me. I know. I know. Australians <laughs> can convince pretty much anyone of anything. That is one of our superpowers. But there are more no. sheep than people in New Zealand. I'm just yes, saying. That is true. I'm aware of that. It's Alex? true. It's true that Australians can convince pretty much anyone of anything. Uh, my cousin-in-law is Australian, and uh, he and I once spent an entire 15 minutes convincing my mother that Australians don't eat popcorn because they instead they have popcorn. They just don't eat it. They use it. They sprinkle it under their beds uh, to uh, get rid of spiders. Uh, because of a chemical in the butter, the fake butter on popcorn. And, like, he and I just, like, talked about this for 15 minutes with totally straight faces, and my mom was like, oh my god, is that true? And uh, my cousin was like, yes, it's true. Sure. Well, I mean, we do have the saying, not here to fuck spiders, which is thematically appropriate to this episode. <laughs> yeah. I don't, would anyone fuck a spider? No, I that's the point. There's Ron Weasley fanfiction. Yeah, and there's also like Shelob. I bet someone has written yeah. some erotic Shelob fiction. Yeah. Why Absolutely. am I asking? Would anyone oh, fuck no, a spider? No, no. It's hey, the internet. Uh, of course, uh, someone would. You're, you're... There is Oglaf. I can't fucking believe we haven't uh, mentioned Oglaf yet. Why on haven't this we mentioned Oglaf yet on this episode? It's only the best webcomic on the entire internet. Friends, don't open this on your work machine. <laughs> it's so but not safe for work. Definitely look it up at home if you are into people fucking. Strange. Literally anything. Literally, Literally anything. anything. It's hilarious. Doors. It's the only webcomic that I keep up with, and I don't keep up with things that right re- that like update regularly. I believe there's a joke of like pull the pull the sword from the stone and become a king, and then the king fucks the stone. So it's like pull the king from the stone and get a sword. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's how they roll. Do we have anything else to say on this episode? Yes! Uh, not, not on the topic of Oglaf, but I did also want to talk about not just monster fucking, but monster marriage and oh, alien yeah. marriage. Uh, and particularly as kind of a green card marriage, like a portal fantasy. Hmm. You know, marry the queen of the fairies and go away to fairyland. Right. Um, wasn't Tithe, like the Rathroiban Rye romance, that was kind of like you will run away to fairy with this man. I don't think Tamlin... Tamlin's like the opposite. Yeah, Tamlin is like, get your boyfriend back from the queen of the fairy. Right. But I'm thinking specifically and most historically about the other side of the Selkie story. The Selkie side? Yeah, well, the male Selkies. Mm. Mm. So so I don't know if, if this is come up for either of you guys in stuff you've read, but the standard Selkie mythology is a seal woman comes to the seashore to dance in the moonlight and takes off her seal skin, and her seal skin is stolen by a human yep. who takes her for his wife because he's enchanted with her. And it has like a whole bunch of coercion and forced stuff in there. And the idea is that it's an explanation for why your wife sometimes runs away again afterwards. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, she was called to the sea. But there's also the other side, which is sometimes human women are seduced by selky men and run away to live with them. Oh, in, in the, the sea. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have never read one of those. That well, makes me happy. you wouldn't because it's like the opposite of what patriarchies want. Right. Well, that's, the, that's the Shape of Water story. Yeah. Well, kind of. Yeah. The, the, the happy ending, if you believe that it was happy. Is that she, leaves, yeah, she leaves behind this, this society that was toxic and that was othering her and oppressing her and she goes to live I guess in relative freedom beneath the waves with her fish boyfriend. Right and I feel like a lot of the fae tempting stories were about don't let them get you, don't take the green card wedding, you know Mm -hmm. because it'll end badly for you but I want to say that there's some space to play with those tropes Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think there's always space to play with all tropes. But also, like, yeah, I don't know, I just really like the idea of saying 
there's a point at which my culture has been so harmful to me and who I am that I can choose to go somewhere else and this is a path to take me somewhere else. Yeah, and I think I think you're right. Like you're with the 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 stories where it's a male main a male human main character, it's always kind of warning about like oh don't don't go there. It won't be it won't be good for you. But when it's a female main character the fa- fairy story is always like no go with the go with the guy it'll be better than your life here which you know honestly <laughs> for most of human history life hasn't been great for the women for whom this story would have been uh an important Resident. part of their lives yeah hmm. and so yeah. like the the idea of being able to to go elsewhere and to be married to a man who appears monstrous but is is actually like kind and good and powerful and cherishes you that's very very liberating and enticing i was thinking about spinning silver um, oh yes oh yes when i was right take a drink we mentioned naomi novik (laughs) well um specifically spinning silver has Miriam stolen away to the ice palace with a monstrous husband i can't remember they didn't get married straight away or they did when he kidnapped her i think they did I think right. they did. And then they got married in the Jewish tradition later, so yeah. they made it equal. Right. And yeah, I think that that's a Beauty and the Beast, like East of Moon, East of Sun, West of Moon type story. And we actually did another Tip Tree short story. I think it was in the Unreliable Narrators episode. Mm. We did yes, 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 Women yes, Men Don't one. See, which is again about women choosing to be abducted by aliens and taken away from the patriarchal world that they consider to be toxic and not doing them any good and the inability of the male narrator to understand the appeal there's not really much in the story that indicates he thinks the women are going to fuck the aliens but he does have enough of a sort of fixation on the sexuality of the women that it kind of comes through in context in sorry in subtext right all right so since i am already the person who is least (laughs) dignified on this podcast i was talking you know another fun anecdote from this week two people this week told me that they thought that i was like intimidating and too cool to approach on twitter and i'm like do you listen to my podcast I'm not even the I'm not the coolest person on that podcast. I'm like the fifth coolest person on this podcast. <laughs> and there's only three of us. I mean, I guess if you're ranking Amanda and Ryan. Yeah, yeah. I think my count went Freya, let's admit it, Freya is the coolest yeah, person. Freya on this is the podcast. coolest. Yeah. So Freya, Macy, Macy, Freya, Alex. <laughs> is the top five coolest people on this podcast. Anyway, so as an entirely uncool question, sort of a debate topic for us to talk oh, about. God. How do the kaiju from Pacific Rim have sex? I feel like we've been talking so much about alien fucking on this episode, we should talk about how aliens fuck each other. For uh, th- th- is this Jesus. with each other or with the giant monster with the, with, the, with the giant robots oh I had not thought of that but fucking giant robots definitely is on our brand yeah that would be like you know enemies to lovers all the way hey yeah yeah, yeah. Alex write it you're done with your books I'm not gonna write this but I bet someone <laughs> already has I bet someone already has written the, like fucking the kaiju with the giant robot fic I, I feel I feel like the kaiju probably have eggs they look kind of reptilian they do to me so are we asking like do they have live young um i feel like they also have a very fast mutation rate yeah so probably like a low gestation cycle i'm not getting into the biology of this (laughs) (laughs) well freya's no fun that's why she's the coolest person on the podcast freya how do kaiju romance one another Well, I think it would be very much in the realm of the animal kingdom, which is about displays. Mm. So I think it would be one either genre or genre, sorry, sorry, one of the kaiju genders, of which there could be many, we don't know. Possibly some of them are the ones that are the very showy display gender, and they have all of their beautiful, flashy, glowy lights, and they have their interesting colors, and those are the ones that get the mates, and therefore all of the kaiju that we see coming through are descendants of the ones that won the display. The, the peacock <gasps> that makes, kaiju, That's if you the want. only thing that makes sense about why they look like that. Exactly. They're probably some like this. very drab, n- boring, normal-looking kaiju sitting on the other side of the portal. It's the peacocks send- and the peahens. Sending their children off through the portal to kill some humans. As like a coming of age ceremony. Who knows? It could be bunnies. I, I have a counter theory, and that is that all of the kaiju that we see coming through the portal are female. 
because it's sort of like an anglerfish situation where like the angler, like all of the anglerfish that you see that look like anglerfish are, are female because the, the males are basically just floating little sperm sacs that like uh, bite onto their side and sort of like fuse with their bodies and like can then like release sperm whenever she <gasps> it feels could be a like black, it, right? It could be a black widow situation. They may have eaten no. their mates. Yeah, I have an even better idea because of the um, biodiversity of the kaiju right right like the kaiju are really different to one another yes what if we have a hive situation where the eggs are very manipulable while they develop Mm, that's cool so you have like a queen kaiju and it would make sense because then she can like breed the warriors and adjust them yeah for maximum effectiveness and send them off through through the portal yeah yeah and it's very much in the keeping of monster stories that there is a queen of the hive and you have to go through and kill the queen i'm pretty sure the aliens in edge of tomorrow had that yeah kate and kill the queen have any of us considered watching the sequel no No. not yet maybe that maybe that answers some of these burning questions (laughs) (laughs) moral of the story kaiju or bees internet please get back to us asap it is very important and tell us if the second pacific rim movie describes how kaiju fuck Thanks for joining us on this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. I would like to take this opportunity to apologize to our beloved scribes for the number of times they'll be typing the word fuck during the transcription process, and also to anyone who might have begun listening to this episode in a public place without their headphones firmly plugged in. For the next episode, two weeks hence on January 30th, Gather your cauldrons, your pointy hats, and your disdain for the patriarchy, because we'll be talking about witches. If there are any members of your coven who'd be interested in listening to that, then maybe give them a heads up so they can tune in. And if you'd like to do your pre-reading, one of our tentpoles is the novel I Shall Wear Midnight by Terry Pratchett. As always, we would love to hear any comments or questions that you might have. You can contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, Or, of course, you can come and hang out in the fan Discord chat, which is linked on the About the Show page of the podcast website. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. We would really appreciate it. And by the way, you're out of this world.